after creating a career so incredible, you end up being the vice president of sales and marketing for Tony Robbins. Where do you go next? And then how do you pivot during crazy times? Well, my dear friend Matt Millen shares the real deal on sales and sales leadership. Cue the intro. Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. Today's episode of The Real Deal On is brought to you by GuidedHypnotic.com. That's GuidedHypnotic.com. Are you feeling stressed out, perhaps ridden by anxiety? Then go ahead to GuidedHypnotic.com and download your free Guided Hypnotic Meditation. All right, here we go. Matt Millen, my good friend, is the CEO and co-founder of Reggie.io, a sales enablement platform that builds high-performing sales campaigns for today's modern seller. Matt is passionate about helping sales teams win more. In his 34 years of sales, sales leadership, and executive leadership, Matt has led high-performing teams at TechData, Gateway Computer, T-Mobile, Outreach.io, and Tony Robbins. When not spending time with his family, Matt loves roller coasters, fast cars, and slow boat rides. Very nice. Oh my goodness. So Matt, thank you so much for sharing your most valuable asset. And that is your time, your wisdom, your energy. And uh, I couldn't thank you enough for, for sharing because you do have an incredible bit of experience, wisdom, and knowledge to to share. And uh, I can say I was blessed to have you as uh, as my boss for a period of time. My first boss I had in, in many years uh, <laughs> at that time. So I, I really, I appreciate you and thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. Doug, so great to be with you. In fact, I remember the sales calls we did together, the meetings. Yeah. Uh, and great to be reconnected and sharing some time with you and your audience. Thank you so much. And and what you know, we'll get into. I I, I know uh, you probably do remember. I share uh, how uh, my my beginnings went with uh, with Tony and and the organization, and and I use it as uh, as story of perseverance. And and we'll we'll get into that. I'm sure. Uh, but share with us. So we were gifted to work together with Tony Robbins, but that's just a small part of your illustrious career. Um, but how did you get into, like, were you always into sales and leadership and, you know, obviously you're into fast cars and slow boats, but <laughs> what, um, what is your passion around sales and, and sales leadership and beyond? Yeah, it all goes back. You know, we all have our story, Doug. I grew up a poor kid on welfare just outside of Boston, single mom, and work was my way out. Mm. And I discovered the value of hard work. And when I got out of college, uh, I discovered sales because sales paid you twice. They give you a base salary to do your job, and then they paid you commission when you did it. 
And growing up poor, I loved the idea of getting paid twice. And I figured out quickly that if you can help customers get what they want and need, you can make a great living, have fun, and do good in the world. So you you got into it after college, or were you were you like a young salesperson? Like were you selling like uh, lemonade and uh, that kind of like flipping uh, baseball cards? No, I used to go door to door as an elementary school student and wash cars for a buck a car. But I didn't discover sales till after college, like professional enterprise grade selling. Got it. So what was your first gig? What was the the sales opportunity? Uh, my first gig was selling mortgages. So this is in the late 80s when mortgage rates were 12% wow, uh, with yeah. two points. Uh, so if you want to talk about learning how to sell, uh, that, that was quite the environment. But I quickly got into information technology. I started selling computers in your neck of the woods down in Tampa, Florida, and you know, really cut my teeth at selling and, again, having a good time. And computers were really young. When I started selling, Doug, no such thing as email, no such right. thing as the internet. And then, you know, I had a front row seat to the infusion of technology into both the selling process and the buying process over the years. Now, uh, I see here, you know, you're with Gateway. Is that how you got the gig with Tony? Because did you know Gene prior to that? Was that uh, the relationship? Um, something's reminding me of a uh, past relationship. Yeah, a couple of things happened at the same time. Uh, one, I knew Gene. Uh, Gene had invited me to uh, one of Tony's events in New Jersey. And at the same time, there was a recruiter recruiting for that position. Uh, so I had got connected with Tony through through a couple different avenues. Right. So but you and Gene worked together at Gateway? We did. Yep. Love it. And so actually, one of the things maybe you could also touch upon, I know we're going to talk about some actual sales philosophy, but it sounds like uh, relationships play a large role that perhaps uh, maintaining and building relationships throughout your career mm -hmm. is uh, one that would be recommended. Yeah, I think uh, relationships are super important. One of the things that I do is I'll go through all my LinkedIn connections to all. I go through a bunch of my LinkedIn connections every week and I'll find somebody that I haven't reached out to in a while for no other purpose than just to connect, say hi, mm -hmm. maybe relate how, how much our relationship meant at a point in time and something I take. And, and it's amazing what comes out of those conversations. It's no different than you and I connecting on LinkedIn mm -hmm. or reconnecting. Yeah, I think it's a really important part of anyone's strategy uh, is it, building upon your network. Well, I, it is true that your net worth is your, or your network is your net worth. Um, would you suggest, I guess, when um, utilizing those uh, opportunities, like you just shared, like it's just, you know, I was just reaching out to say, hey, are you going into it with an agenda or are you just genuinely showing up like, oh, I really had nothing on my mind other than to say hello and and uh what's up yeah i generally reach out with zero agenda other than to reconnect mm -hmm. uh, and i'll tell you one of the favorite moments of my day is when i've led some very large teams you know thousand plus persons national teams and every once in a while i'll get a random connection or random shout for somebody that was on one of my teams just going back to a point in time where we had interacted mm. And there could be gratitude, there could be a share, how something we discussed had showed up three years later. 
Uh, and, and hearing those echoes of our professional past and those echoes of our professional contributions, personal contributions, yeah. it's why we do what we do. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, those rewards, they don't happen in the moment. Sometimes they do. Sometimes that echo comes back years later. Mm. Uh, and I think about what that means to me. Uh, and I do that. So I'll reach out to reconnect. I'll reach out to uh, have gratitude, uh, to reflect, whatever it may be. Uh, but I know it brightens up my day and rekindles a spirit and a relationship. And I do the same thing. Love it. And it actually, I don't know how the squirrel took me down this path in, in questioning, but when you talk about the, the agenda, oh, I was thinking of questions of like, well, what other, you know, like what questions, other questions I want to ask, like the difference between selling tangible and intangible. Um, what your experience, because you started with computers and, and there was a thing there. We worked together, we were selling the intangible. Um, and while obviously there is an intangible experience with a tangible product, what for you, did you have a preference? Um, what Was there any struggle or internal conversation reconciling that uh, experience or the, the difference of those experiences, if there was any for you? Yeah, I, th I think there's a, a different way to look at it, Doug. And that is, you know, what pain are you solving or what pleasure are you providing uh, to your customer, your prospect? So in other mm -hmm. words, you're, you're potential customer has a want and or a need uh, and they can be very they can be everything from technology to experience uh, so you know we just take a step to the side here i think for everybody that wants to help customers get what they want need uh, the first thing you need to do is find something that you're passionate about yourself mm. because you'll be a lot more effective and a lot more persuasive uh, if you're having conversations about something uh, that you care about personally. So whether it was infusing technology in organizations and helping them reach uh, and sustain new levels of productivity and efficiency, or whether it's um, you know providing services that allow them to fulfill uh, their greatest achievements. Uh, like in either case, uh, if you're not passionate about your product or your service, you're going to fall flat. Uh, it's going to be a conversation. And if we take it one step further and we put like this COVID filter on it, you know, one of the things that I coach my team and, and folks that I coach is like today, you have to be enviable in what and how you do what you do. Mm. Uh, there is so much competition for what you're currently providing. So as I'm experiencing you, like I want to experience excellence. I want you to be an expert. I want you to have relevance. I want you to have credibility. I want rapport. I want all of these uh, you know, all these attributes out of the interaction and relationship uh, because I want to do business with that. Uh, Sounds like an team, episode of The Bachelor. Yeah. And on our team, like we create, like when we demonstrate our own software, like we create an experience, not a product demonstration. Mm. We create like three moments in the demonstration that you'll always remember. And we create an enviability in the delivery of the demo. Like we want people looking at, see, we sell the salespeople, we sell the sales leaders. So if we don't have our shit together, how can we help them be better if we're not better ourselves? So we have an obligation to be enviable in the tightness of our process, our execution, and the experience that we create. I love that. Uh, 
the experience. I mean, that is ultimately what people are looking for. They're looking for an experience in the product. At the end of the day, you're showing them and giving them a visceral experience so that they can then tie back to and go, I want more of that. So yeah, it's kind of, it's like, I you know, hate to use a, another metaphor using like drug dealers, but hey, here's a, you know, here's a bit of the, a taste of it. And, you know, obviously, if you want more, I got it, but we have to create an environment. This is what you're going to experience. Um, and that's a huge distinction, by the way. I, I know for you, it's like old hat, but I think for some people, they may not really grasp the how powerful that that philosophy is. Um, now, did you do that? You're doing that now, obviously. We obviously did that to, you know, the whole Tony model, the way we did it, you know, was giving the people an experience. Was this something that you were doing prior to, uh, like, when was this, like, your uh, thing? Because I know you totally got it with Tony, and, you know, probably that's why you got the opportunity. <clears throat> when did you start bringing that philosophy to your sales process? That's uh, a great, uh, great question. So I'll take you back to the late 80s. Uh, I started working and, you know, growing up poor, I never had a chance uh, to race a car, but I, I'd always dreamed about race car driving, like like most kids or some kids. <laughs> and uh, I had a chance to uh, start race car driving uh, at a point, you know, I was making some money and had the opportunity to get into the sport. And, and one of the things I learned real quick on the racetrack was that there was more bad luck than good luck mm. on this racetrack. It was a very controlled environment, meaning, you know, there were a number of different mistakes that I could make uh, on the track in terms of where I was braking, turning, all kinds of different things that would cost me laps, if not take me out of the race completely. But where it got a little crazy was I could be doing everything right, but somebody next to me could make a mistake. They could turn too early or late. They could brake too early or too late. Uh, they could do a number of different things wrong that would take me out of the race. And I had to figure out, even back then, like, what, what do you control? Mm. And I, I figured out, I, on the racetrack, I controlled three things. Number one, I controlled how much money uh, my sponsors and myself invested in my equipment. Uh, number two, I controlled how much preparation that I did before a race, race weekend usually 40 hours of prep for one race weekend. Wow. And then I control how much I practiced. Typically five to six laps for every one race lap. So ooh, uh, practice and prep were different. Practice and prep are different. They're very different. Um, and then when I got into selling, uh, I very quickly learned that there was more bad luck than good luck uh, in selling. Like no matter how well trained I was and no matter how well prepared I was, uh, and excited about what I was doing, like there's just stuff that goes on, uh, you know, like your decision maker quits or gets fired, or your competitor drops a price missile, or the economy goes to shit, or all of a sudden nobody's traveling. Like, like all of these things can happen outside of your control. So in selling, I had to figure out that I learned in racing, what are the three things that I can control that give me a better probability of winning more consistently, more predictably. So I call it story, activity, and mindset. So story, like the words that come out of my mouth, I control. Like how prepared I am, you know, when I make a phone call to have that message, that initial conversation, how prepared I am to leave a great voicemail, how prepared am I for the company story? Like 
Am I prepared for the words that come out of my mouth to engage in that conversation? Number two, activity. I control what I do all day. I control how well I do it and the conversion I'm pulling out of it. And then third is my mindset or my attitude about my work. Like how seriously am I taking, you know, my obligation of the quota, you know, putting in a full day, you know, what, what's my attitude uh, toward this? And I figured out that when I can control what I say, what I do, and my attitude toward it, like I'm changing the game. And this was for me the predecessor to everything I do today. Mm. So when it comes to like the mindset, let's start with that, we'll work our way backwards. What for you is, do you have a particular mindset or do you have different hats of mindset that you wear? Are you juggling depending on what activities you're doing? Um, like for you, how do you get into that right mindset or right state, right attitude? And um, is that part of your preparation and or practice? Yeah, I, th I think so. But I think it's I think the mindset piece is also very fundamental and elemental, meaning mm -hmm. Like you have to associate yourself to a cause, whether that cause is your product or it's mission driven and you volunteer against it. Like, mm -hmm. like your mindset will be as strong as your association to what you're doing. Otherwise you're just amping yourself up in the moment, like a short term drug. But true mindset is the belief that what you're doing matters. And you have a moral obligation, a moral imperative to take your product or service to the world. So the metaphor that I use with my team is that the world is diabetic and we sell insulin. Mm. Now, not, nothing against diabetes, but, but the metaphor right. is the urgency in which we need to do what we do because we solve a really important problem. Now, that is a huge distinction, and I hope people, I mean, I hope they value and understand the, the, the wisdom they're getting, because if you're not tied to something bigger than yourself, you're not going to be able to push through when the going gets tough. You're not going to be able to maintain that high level of intensity when we're getting that resistance. Remember, a good friend of mine uh, said to me, he's a, he's a long distance runner, he's also a business owner and so forth, and he said, you know, anybody can finish a marathon very few people finish at their best and that is essentially in a nutshell what you're sharing as well as keeping that high level through and the way you do that is by tying it to something that is so important that you're willing to do whatever it takes and never ever give up and just keep pushing through um, so then when it comes to then the 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 actions and the activities what is the your framework as far as, you know, I believe that action is the antidote and I believe that, you know, more activity is going to get, of course, more results. What is your relationship with those activities and how do you measure whether you feel like those? I mean, I'm sure you've at times or seen people taking actions that are pointless, fruitless, and it just feels good to take some action. Um, so what are some of the activities or actions that, you know, are going to be results driven? And I think to your point, on, on a show like this, or just in general, almost everybody knows what to do. And not everybody does what they know. Right. 
so like the problem isn't, hey, I got to go learn more. Uh, usually the problem is I need to go do more. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's thinking about, you know, how you set up your day uh, to win. Uh, and there's a couple just fundamental uh, philosophies. Like number one, like I don't use selling time to prepare. I use preparation time to prepare, not <laughs> selling time to prepare. Uh, number two, like I'll never practice on a customer. Mm. Like we, we practice with each other. Like we role play with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll practice with each other, even if it means filming ourselves and watching that. Uh, but we don't we don't practice on customers. Uh, I saw a great quote. It said, "Amateurs practice to get it right. Professionals practice so they don't get it wrong." Boom. Yeah, and like so, I really take to heart this notion of investment, like investing in yourself. Like this morning, I sat on a prospecting training for an hour. I want to see, see what they're talking about today. What can I pick mm -hmm. up? Never stop investing in yourself. Never stop preparing and never stop practicing. Uh, like those, like you're, you should be allowed to play uh, if, if you're not prepared to play. Like period. You know yeah. this. Uh, in fact, I use, a, I use a, you know, a metaphor I call the three fields of play. And what I find is that most leaders and most people live in game. They wake up and they jump right into the game, whatever the game is, uh, whether it's doing the job, managing the job, coaching the job, leading the job, like they jump right into the game. And the challenge is the way you play has to do with how you practice. And there's not enough practice with most teams. They just mm. go in cold. And they're, lear they're learning and reinforcing bad mistakes and they don't have to take the time to figure it out. Uh, so you've got to build the practice field, you know, into your repertoire. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, even seldom talked about is what I call the locker room. And that's where the attitude, the culture of the team is established. The ethics mm. of the team are established. Because how you, know, how you behave in the locker room is how you practice. How mm -hmm. you practice is how you play. And I think, you know, all of us need to really think about those three different fields. And are we spending the right amount of time putting those foundations and those fundamentals in place so we can fit for the best time using your, your marathon analogy? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would say the old saying, a practice makes permanent. Yes. And that's the it's such a game changing distinction because, you know, you keep practicing your bad habits. Well, they become really hard to break the more you do them. Um, I, I always think back to one of the things my I think you probably recall my first career was in music. And when we would we with humility, we're probably one of the best live bands you could see in the area. And it was really because of the way we practiced. We would go into a rehearsal studio. We would do maybe, maybe a whole song to tune up. And then it was as if we were playing in front of 2,000 people, 5,000 people. And we would be jumping and sweating and playing full out the whole time so that when we had people in front of us, we were that much more excited right. and that much more intense because we were used to doing it when there was no feedback <laughs> so it, it's so powerful that you know you you share that in a sales mindset because it's so true how you do anything is how you do everything so if you you know practice like crap you're going to perform like crap that's right when you you talked about doing your role playing and, and all of that how much of that do you do with your team still uh quite a bit 
uh, on, on different levels. So number one, we do role playing. Uh, so we have, a, again, we have a demonstration that we do for our software. Mm-hmm. We practice that repeatedly. Uh, make sure we have a script for it uh, with certain moments that we try to create and accentuate. Uh, I join calls to make sure it's not only going well from a selling perspective, but it's being received the right way. And like, do we need to make some tweaks there? Uh, I'll review, I can't make a call. I'll review the audio and video recording of the call itself. Uh, you know, we have our reps have to test out, you know, in terms of like being able to do the job. Like worst thing you can do is put somebody on the street that's representing your brand uh, that isn't ready. I experienced that firsthand. <laughs> so uh, one you of know, the, yeah, one of the, and here, I'll actually, I'll, I'll share with you a little bit of the story. I don't know if we, t- we chatted about this, but how I use this story uh, in multiple ways. One, I came unprepared. I absolutely came unprepared. So the backstory for those of you who, who are just catching up, um, Matt worked as a VP of sales for Tony Robbins, and I was blessed to have the opportunity to get through the whole interview process and everything. And, and uh, they brought me out to San Diego and they sent me a script, but I didn't have a deep enough understanding as to why I was given the script or how important it was. And the guy I was with, Christian, did that gig before so knew like i mean he understood the importance of the script he memorized it word for word and i showed up and i bombed i was so bad and i remember you came up to me and and you were like what were you thinking and i was like i i i hadn't i had no idea uh i now but now that i saw it i i got it and i was like give me a give me a chance i got you got two weeks but we're taking you off the calendar you do not have any meetings you are not representing us like this um but more to the point is what i did that night and i don't know if if we shared this or if you saw this i made a decision because we all went out to dinner that night and so here we are with the team we got scotty there and jarek and you and steve ross and like everybody's like all the and all the old school the roberto right and then there's me and christian and i was like you know i have two choices i could sit over there in the corner and wallow and i could be uncomfortable and kind of just be miserable or i could prove that i'm a product of the product and to your point that passion that ownership and i sat down with you and roberto and scotty at the table at that other end just because i knew that the only way i'd be able to survive this is to step up and own it live it so that i could keep the momentum when i went home because i knew i had my work cut out for me but that was uh it, it was a big moment for me and a decision it was a, it was a big decision at that point um and i share the story with other people to show like how important it is to to have that passion to step up to not give up because we're going to get shot down like that was essentially a no that that was or a not yet in a sales call i was a rejection it was it was a rejection and an objection and the only way i could overcome it is by being stronger than the objection itself um so yeah that was uh yeah, that's great share, uh, good vulnerability as well. I, you know, we also, to be equally vulnerable, we we changed our interview process as a result uh, because we, we knew that, you know, sending out this 45-minute script and saying get the first 15 minutes down, you know, also wasn't fair uh, because you don't know what it looks like. 
in that, in, to your point and in that experience. So yeah. what we started doing as a result of not only you, but others is in addition to sending out the script, we sent out a 45 minute video of our best FSR doing it. So you could literally see what, what it looks like when you're doing it right. Uh, so not only do you have to do the first 15 minutes, but you have to be on the stage jumping up and down. So yeah, like yeah. Got, like, oh, that would have been so helpful because right. I never saw any, I, I, I'd never seen anyone do it. So I had no frame of reference. Right. And, and the only other frame I had was an old, I had the old script. It was like, and I remember you pointed it out too, because you, you showed the old script and you were like, look, look how many times it says I. And, and how the old script had just morphed into the FSR going, me, 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 and let me tell you about me, and how ineffective that was. So that was my other frame of reference. It was like, I, so like I, I thank you for, on behalf of all the other FSRs who, uh, who were given a little more of a, an understanding. Um, and I suppose also if I worked in real estate or I had done other sales and seen that, presentation or that sales model before I, I would have also, you know, had a deeper appreciation for the, the opportunity I was provided. Um, you know, I basically came from music. I found out about live events. I bought it on eBay because I was, I was always buying like, you know, Tony's tapes on eBay and I saw like they were selling tickets to an event. I was like, Oh, I didn't even know that he had events. So that's how I learned about it. Um, so let's cut, cut to now you you worked with Tony and it was a really a powerful experience uh, working with you because you definitely, you know what you're talking about. You are so uh, focused and knowledgeable around the system of sales, yet you also have like such an incredible heart and that personality comes across as well. Like you're not just a technical seller, if that makes sense. Like you totally get like the other side of it. Um, when you left Tony, what was like, what brought you to, to here? Like I saw you, you had some other great opportunities. What, what did you do after that? And how different was it to go from, you know, that world back into perhaps maybe a, a I don't know if it was as uh, woo wooey. Um, cause Tony is selling intangibles and then now, you know, you're going back into some other, other, you know, uh, sectors. Yeah. I think, you know, you know, time with Tony was, was amazing, you know, four years with that organization, you know, I'm blessed, uh, for having been part of that, all that I learned and, and all the experiences, you know, and in working there, you know, it was a, it was a double life. There's the, the selling aspect of filling events, selling the coaching, selling the products. Uh, but then there's also the experiential components of the people, the raving fan customers, the events themselves. <clears throat> but I, I, you know, I got back to uh, larger teams. I'd been recruited by T-Mobile to run business sales. It was a large national uh, opportunity for me and just the time was good. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think, you know, to, to your point about, you know, mixing like the technical side of selling or leading sales and the people side is like at some point like when you're in your role it's it's either very mechanical or you're you're being the person that you think needs to be in that role mm. and what you learn hopefully like you learn and you figure out as early as you can is that like you're allowed to have fun at work you're mm. a human being 
the people on your team, the people on the, around you, they're human beings. And I think the sooner that we all realize that we're humans first, uh, really allows us to unlock potential. And, um, and I think our experience through COVID just now has really brought this to the forefront. Like you just think about like just so many things going on. Like number one, as we're Zooming, like you're in my house. Right. Not an office anymore. Like, you know, you're in my house. I, a kid could walk in. My dog's crapped on the rug three times during Zoom calls. Like anything can happen. <laughs> like anything can happen. Um, so that's number one. Number two is like people that you work with, work for, that you're calling on, whatever it may be, they're in their house. Uh, and not everyone has the best, like they didn't buy their house or rent their apartment thinking they'd be working there, kids going to school there, whatever it is. Yeah. So like, you know, it, it's always not a good situation. And I think as employers, as leaders, as coworkers, like we have this new empathy for like- Or at least need all, for it. Hmm? Or at least a need for it. Yeah, for at least a need for it. In terms <laughs> of what we're all going through. Yeah. And and like and and like this level of understanding. And and I think it's really humanized the workplace. Like if nothing else, like it's reminded us that we're humans first. Mm. Um, whether or not you adapt and adjust to it is a decision you make. But if nothing else, uh, and and I think it's also shown like when we all kind of got scattered out to our homes and it was a week to two weeks of, oh shit, like how are we gonna make our number? Or how are we gonna get our jobs done? And like, you know, people went into a freeze, a funk. Mm. And you know, very quickly, you know, teams got together and figured out how to win, how to be successful, you know, during these times. And in fact, studies show that productivity is all time high and people are doing well. Now there's still a, a need for social interaction that's not being met. I mean, there's still other other problems, mm -hmm. but we have found a way to do this. And in the process become extremely understanding of people's situations and circumstances. And hopefully we never lose that. Yeah, I certainly um that would be some secondary gains to this experience is if that's a, a lasting uh, experience and, and understanding. When you started uh, Reggie.io, when was that during COVID or pre-COVID? Yeah, we, uh, we actually started, we launched during COVID. Okay. So we officially launched uh, late summer last year. Uh, but it, you know, we solve a big problem in the marketplace, and uh, COVID's no reason uh, not to go forward. No, of course. I was just wondering if you, if part of your pivot was if you had an outside sales team prior that was going face to face, and they had to adjust, or you're able to develop your your process within the confines of the circumstances we were, you know, dealing with. Yeah, we launched within you know within Reggie, although our target customer, which is sales teams. Uh, you know, they've been, you know, working out of their homes mm -hmm. and, you know, your traditional uh, like person that walks hallways and goes to conference rooms, like they don't do that anymore. So what happened during this COVID time is that modernization of selling, like leveraging tools and technology is accelerated um, in a great way. So do you think you would have like, was this a concept you had pre-COVID? 
and this ramped it up? Or did you see uh, the need and created it based on the the new way uh, people were having to do business? No, the product was a couple of years in development. Okay. Uh, so this is just all timing, uh, you know, of when, when it's ready to be, you know, we spent 18 months commercializing it before we launched it. And Okay. Well, all right. Um, yeah. You know, it just happened to be, you know, when we were ready and, and hit the go button. Right. Now, do you think that you would have been as uh, successful uh, without COVID? I mean, obviously you would have been, but like, did this create another sort of uh, pain point to use as part of like how important the service you offer is? Yeah, it's a great question. In our specific case, you know, a study just came out from Gartner um, that's the number one problem uh, with sales engagement today is content strategy by overwhelmingly. And mm. that's the problem we solve uniquely. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure COVID helped or hurt. Um, you know, in some cases, you know, companies are spending more money on technology than they thought they would. So on one side, you know, there may be less money. On the other side, there could be more need. So look, in the end, it probably all balances out. Mm. What's well, important a... is... If anything, it just gave you an opportunity on what you would use as far as a leverage point. If COVID wasn't here, you'd have another position, I guess, in some sense, because you wouldn't have the, you know, if people were pressing flesh more and, and talking in person, you are still what you do, still incredibly important and valuable. Right. It just would be an augmentation more than it is now is a, almost a, a necessity because um, what you do is, I mean, you're when you shared with me, I mean, I haven't seen your pro, like your presentation, but when you shared what you do, it's mind blowing. Yeah, there you go. Well, we well, use you as our first commercial. Yeah, well, I mean, it's well because it's so important because I'm already thinking about referrals for you because I'm I'm knowing how important it is that people get the access to the the products and services that you know everyone has to offer and that it's done in a way that everyone's creating these raving fans and feeling good about it and that the the businesses have confidence in bringing value and that the the consumers have confidence in <clears throat> you know investing um because it's it's really difficult nowadays as well as you shared you know to find those people with the passion and there may be people with the passion who haven't been able to get their message out there yeah and it's harder than ever i mean just first of all you know to it it's like a battle today to get your rapport your relevance and your credibility out there yeah like it really is like like to be unique and to stand out uh it gets tougher and tougher like every year in annual surveys reps say you know, prospecting is the hardest part of my job and it's getting harder. Um, so, you know, important that, you know, we call the three P's of prospecting. Uh, number one, you have to really define your buyer persona. Like who do you sell to and why? Mm -hmm. Again, really understand their world, not your world. Number two, what pain are they in that your product solves? And then the third is, third P is personalization. Like how much do you personalize that initial interaction to break through? You know, some reps spend half a day personalizing one email that never gets read. Um, so there's got to be this balance. Um, you know, my personal philosophy is you don't have to know me to sell to me. You just have to know what pain I'm in and help me solve it. If you can help me solve the pain, I have time to listen to you.
so there's an interesting point that's I mean, we can get into uh, a little bit of a rabbit hole around the psychology of finding pain because depending on your persona there are some who will pretend that everything's fine right there is no pain what are you talking about everything's great so how do you work with your team to help them elegantly uncover pain such that you're not like creating because you could break rapport by pointing out someone's pain points um if not done effectively uh how, well, how do you well let, let's um i mean let's just everybody's in pain like let's and and you're when you tell me you're not in pain that's true until we find out that you are right well that's a whole nother conversation yeah um but when you understand what you sell and when you understand who you sell it to and why they buy it, it's usually a position. You sell to some position or some individual of a certain, whatever they may be. And whether you're in that role, that position, there are certain things on your desk that are called challenges that it's your job to figure out. Mm -hmm. When you understand what those people are typically figuring out, that's what the con I'm, I'm not here to say, Doug, you're in pain. I'm just like, look, as the chief information officer, as the chief sales officer, as the chief technology officer, these are things that are usually on your plate that we fix. If this is you too, we should talk. So I'm not saying you're in pain. I'm just saying, hey, people that do what you do are typically in these three pains. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. If you're that, we should talk. Like I do what you need. Right. And, you know, when, and when that's true, you actually have an obligation to your team. You have an obligation to your company to at least hear me out. Right. Because if I can legitimately help you in a great way, you ought to be listening. So it sounds like uh, also if I'm reading between the lines a little because of where you're operating mostly for you, the ideal referent would be the CIO, the CTO. Um, no. I sell the sales leaders, um, but it like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, anybody that you sell to is looking to get something done in their life. You know, everybody wants to have more time, more money, more, you mm -hmm. know, better relationships, you know, less stress. Like you pick it, like whatever you sell, you have to know that everybody has that problem. Now, like if you're selling something that no one has that problem for, like, you got to think about it. Right. But but here's the way I think about selling. Like if you look around the room that you're in, the room that I'm in, the room that if you're listening, the room that you're in or whatever, if everything that you see in that room, including the air that you're breathing, was sold by someone to someone, like the air is mm -hmm. coming through your HVAC system and, and the, the desk and the, everything was sold. And the point of this is that because everything is transacted, including the air and the water, that all you have to do is find what you're passionate about and attach yourself to that. Because it's there, it's being transacted. And the marketplace provides an equilibrium where there's enough buyers and sellers where you'll do okay. Love it. Now, with that being said about the passion, what would you say to someone who's maybe in sales and got an opportunity to sell something maybe that they're not passionate about 
they're great at sales and they've always been told you're such a great salesperson and out of perhaps desperation or you know an opportunity comes along how could they connect to a passion if perhaps the product they may not necessarily be passionate about well i mean look I, look we've all had jobs that we're not our dream jobs but we work our way mm -hmm. you know to what we want to be doing as we get the uh, you know the freedom and the the opportunity or the direction in our career, our, our trajectory. Uh, but, but again, find what you're passionate about. Like you, you know what you're passionate about and start researching firms, uh, you know, that do that and, you know, send a letter to the CEO. Like, like, look, I've been a really successful salesperson. I'm actually passionate about what you do, not what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I would love to take my skills and talents to your organization. Awesome. You know, you'll have that conversation. Yeah, and I, I bring that up because I, I think that sometimes people do get stuck and they they may be fearful as to what to do and, and that's gonna affect their mindset as well. Um, and I also wonder if there's perhaps a way someone could be passionate about actually that not making it about a widget, but the feeling that the person on the other end experiences when said widget provides that solution. Yeah. Because I percent, hundred percent. But I will say, like, not doing well in your current job is not an like you don't have the excuse that well I'm not passionate about my product. Like, right, you, exactly. You have to win to give yourself opportunity to win again. Like, and that, winners yeah, that's will what get I was getting at. Yeah, that's what I, I wanted to get people really clear back to how you do anything is how you do everything, right. and you know it's finding that the creative way to get passionate about wherever you are in that moment to find a way to add value to create that end result of yeah this is awesome for that that other person um and and also so getting vulnerable with uh with me and, and um our relationship i remember you came to one of uh one of the trainings i did and uh, when I was done, you came down and, and you said, um, that was entertaining. <laughs> and I, I'm bringing this up because there's, there's that interesting passion and where you draw the line and what your role is, right? So my role at that time was to sell Tony Robbins, was to sell UPW, was to give them an experience, yes, entertainment, part of it, but more importantly, was move them to take action to get more into it, more into the process, more into seeing Tony, more into buying into the bigger vision, other than making them feel good and better in that moment, because I was passionate about knowing how awesome they're going to, I like the excitement they're going to have it at the event and how it's going to change their lives. Yet at the same time, I was doing too much in that moment to solve a problem of feeling good. So I became, you know, in that particular time as well, you know, more entertaining than influential. And I think it's, you know, it's what is your outcome? If your outcome at the end of your presentation is for everyone to cheer and tell you how great it was, or is your outcome for people to take action and open up their wallets? And sometimes like we get confused with what, what is the outcome we're here for? Like I'd rather have 
no one tell you how great it was, but you get the tickets you need. Right. Then, oh, that was awesome, best ever, and no, no one buys anything. And I think it's it's always remembering and driving toward the intended outcome. And like, it's not about the applause; it's about the money. Like, entertainers get the applause, salespeople get the money. Right. I think that's a distinction. <laughs> that, you know, that we're and that was part of the coaching. Yes. But, Right. And well, and, and that is and depending on the role like that is a, a trap that one could fall in as well because you do get those secondary gains because right. all the the other needs are met. And yeah. it, it, that's why it's important as well to surround yourself with the right mentors, the right coaches, the right leaders to keep you on track because that is normal. There's going to be always some bits of things going not quite the way you want it to do the results are not always going to be optimal. And when they're not, we have to make adjustments and it could be in a variety of ways. It could be, you know, in for salespeople, it could be maybe they're not prospecting enough because they're liking too much making, you know, the PowerPoint presentation or, or whatever, you know, some or other they're calling a friendly customer are. for a safe conversation rather right. than making that cold outbound and engaging in a new conversation. Right. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, that's it, all normal. That's why it's so important that we, you know, we keep ourselves grounded and outcome oriented, focus on the results. What's the purpose of this and how can I get there even and faster? Even the practice and preparation piece, like, you know, had you stuck to the script, right? Had you stuck to the job like that, that also wouldn't have happened. Right. So there's, right. you know, there's also this notion of like, you know, if I'm, if I've got it in, in my body, like I've got it uh, and I stick to what works, you know, the outcome becomes predictable again. Mm -hmm. But when you go off the script and you start changing the variables, like no longer is the outcome predictable. Right. And that's where, again, I, you know, learned the valuable lesson, the, the, the value of the script and the the purpose of the having it in your body, having it cellularly is so that when someone throws a uh, a curveball or when something happens you can get back on it a lot quicker because in the practice and the preparation it's ownership and it's it's not like oh no where was i and then just to save you know your environment you end up going down a tangent just because you got to fill the space and then the next thing you know you're you know or you forgot where you were and you needed to have some time to get back right yeah so yeah no it's so important um and and the script is obviously uh, there. What's what's powerful and what we did a lot with, obviously, with Tony, and you shared you do it as well, is the constant review, the role play, the, hey, send it in. Let me hear, you know, how, how's it going? And if there was a difference and it, something improved, if something happened, you go, oh, wait a minute. Why did that work? Is that something? Let's now practice outside of the sales floor and let's see if that's something that we want to address, you know, kind of modifying because obviously things change. There could be new products, there could be new services, there could be a change in something. So we have to be flexible. But if you don't have the fundamental, it won't won't matter. Um, and I know a lot of salespeople, myself included at the time, uh, did not necessarily value the script as much as uh as it, it could have should have um and obviously came around but i think that people 
definitely can benefit from appreciating how important the script is, um, that it's not, it's more freedom than a trap. Yeah, the freedom shows up not in doing the script. Right. The freedom shows up when you know what you're doing so well that you don't need to think about it. So your conscious energy now can be in connecting with whoever you're interacting with. When you don't know the script, all of your conscious energy is trying to figure out what you're going to say next. And you get wrapped. So the value of knowing what to say has immense benefit in the interaction process. Right. So, yeah, you bring up another obviously great point. We talked about that a little bit earlier is is rapport and creating that connection. Um, what do you share with your team and, and how do you create that connection, that rapport uh, now that perhaps things are a little more virtual, right? It was one thing when you're doing face to face, hand to hand, press and flesh, out to lunch. Uh, now things have changed, obviously. What are some tools or strategies or advice you could give to someone who used to be out in the field and now is doing it virtually? Yeah, do your homework. Like, do your homework on who you're kind of going to connect with. Uh, do a little bit of LinkedIn uh, shuffling, maybe a quick Google search, find something really interesting. Uh, I'll never forget one time there was a, an ask one of the big companies I worked for, you know, when the CEO would get a, a customer complaint directly, uh, that CEO would get that to the appropriate division leader. And I'll never forget one Saturday, uh, I got an escalation, you know, a cu customer was very unhappy. And, you know, the CEO was like, you know, deal with it. So I, I Google this individual <clears throat> and he was hot, by the way, this individual was hot. Uh, but I Google and I figured out and I learned very quickly that he had a very interesting past. And at one point he had like, like had this really dark interaction with eBay. Like it was this really, it got public. So when I got on the phone with this individual who was just ready to unload on me, I said, hey, Doug, look, I, I know you complained into the CEO. I got you. But before we jump into that, you got to tell me the story about eBay. And guard goes down. He's laughing, tells me this crazy story. And then there's like, what problem? Mm. So and, and I did five minutes of research. Brilliant. I love that. What do you say to someone who is fearful that that may come across as stalky or creepy? Yeah, I guess that's a, you know, that's a belief system. Uh, right. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I, I'm asking that I, because I I've run into people sharing that, say, like when I'm t teaching them, hey, you know, you got to do your research, go, you know, do their profile, right. maybe notice something. If you, you know, have something in common, like a school or, a, you know, something, and they're like, oh, this is like, isn't that creepy? But it isn't. Like, it's not creepy today. In my opinion, right. I'm going to give you opinion. Uh, not only is it not creepy, I think there's a certain expectation uh, that we're going to take a little bit of time and understand who we're talking to before we talk to them. For instance, when people reach out to me, they'll often uh, reference articles I've written or published on LinkedIn. They'll reference mm -hmm. something I did in a podcast. Uh, they've taken the time. Uh, to know who I am and to be, you know, not only build this rapport, but to be relevant to me. 
Love it. And I'm, I'm bringing that up because I just, we have multiple levels of uh, people who like participate in, in the real deal on and, and some are, you know, pivoting, starting a new business that maybe they had a gig and they're reinventing themselves. And, and there's this other belief system that comes in and, and, my feeling is, especially on like LinkedIn or anything like that, is if if it's in your LinkedIn profile, you put it there because you want people to know it. So <laughs> you're actually insulting them by not mentioning right. something you noticed on the profile because obviously you cared enough to put it there. That's great. Love that. So it's actually it's it you you it's it's your. It's your moral responsibility to do your research before you reach out to someone on LinkedIn. And I realize it takes time. And, and the other issue is sometimes people have bots and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's another thing. But I, nothing really frustrates me more is that if I get a LinkedIn profile, you know, like message and they haven't done their due diligence, they know nothing about me. They And they're just like wanting to sell me something. I'm like, um. I, by the way, I think it's great. Like, I love going to a LinkedIn profile and you like you scroll down and then it's like, see three more jobs or five. Like, like I'll go all the way down. Like, I want to see where this person started. <laughs> like, and like, I like I want to see like the ugliest, nastiest job they had and watch the trajectory. And you yeah. know what I'm talking like, whether I'm sending them a note, like I want to acknowledge like all that they've achieved. Yeah. Like, like hell to run. Like, congrats. Well, and uh, you know the what you're really saying to that person is you genuinely took the time and interest to learn some, and that really speaks volumes. It's a a huge way to build rapport, yeah. Because what people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Well, man, I like you if you took the time to investigate, and I trust you because you value what I value, <laughs> and. It's such a powerful tool that sometimes I don't think, you know, people, especially when they first start getting into LinkedIn and, and social selling, the what the the resource they have available to them. Yeah. And, and the rapport only has to get you the first five to 10 seconds. So they, they and then you can establish your relevancy on why there should be more time spent. Right. Well, and so great point on there is for your experience has the amount of touches or the amount of um, back and forth changed since being more virtual? Uh, not more virtual. In fact, oddly enough, uh, people pick up the phone more often. Great. Because like there's a need for social activity between <laughs> answering a phone call. <clears throat> um, but you know, over the years, the amount of touches that it takes to get a response continues to grow. <clears throat> it's probably up to 12 to 14 now. Mm -hmm. Most of our campaigns go 16 to 18 over 27 days just to make sure you putt long. Um, so it just takes it takes more time to cut through the noise today uh, is really the, the, the macro trend. So let's un unpack a little bit what what you do with uh reggie io because it sounds like mm -hmm. you you know you've already got a system 16 to 18 touches what is the philosophy behind what it is you're doing is it, <clears throat> is it possible that your brilliance was able to be encapsulated into an ai module that is actually executing your uh, genius that's new. You're so so kind. It's not my genius at all. So what we did is we have uh, 
I'll say what we do and what we how we got here. But what we do is we build sales campaigns for today's modern sellers. So we have inbound campaigns if you're responding to inbound lead response. We have outbound campaigns if you're prospecting. And then we have follow-up campaigns if you're following up on a deal, a webinar attendee, a referral, whatever it may be. <clears throat> and what these campaigns provide are two really important things. Number one, the touch pattern. When do I call? When do I email? When do I do a social touch? So it's going to map that out to provide the stacking effect. The second thing that my, my product does is everywhere there's an email step, my product writes that email better than you can write the email yourself. And it typically takes three, four, five hours to, to build out all, all the campaign. And my product does it in five minutes. So like super cool, but it's built on a corpus of data of 1.5 billion sales interactions where we know what subject lines had emails open, what emails drove to meetings, uh, which meetings drove to opportunities and so on. Uh, we do this, we support 9,100 different buyer personas like VPs of sales in the software industry or uh, HR executives in agriculture. Like we can support 9,100 different personas. We can create 166 million different campaign structures. <clears throat> and we do this, all, it's all automated on a platform uh, and it supports reps that are using modern selling software uh, where then uh, the campaign's actually like automated and executed and serves you up tasks or you can do it manually um, but either way but that that's what we do and how we do it that so i mean i just out of morbid curiosity how the heck did you get all that data like mm. that's insane yeah, like, it's running. It's running tens of thousands of actual campaigns, and then using the data, what worked, what didn't, by persona, uh, creating the appropriate algorithms, <clears throat> and then we refresh the data every quarter. We put seasonal content in there as well, uh, because you know best practices. You're updating your campaigns at least quarterly, uh, so there's you know all all kinds of refresh that goes in, and then we we encourage refresh. Uh, for our customers is best practice. So it takes five minutes to create, but as part of your onboarding, mm -hmm. does it, uh, you know, do like, so it knows kind of what your product is <clears throat> or that, or is it really just to get a, a phone call? There's three, or a three things we need to know. So when, when Betty Crocker introduced instant cake mix in the 1950s, people didn't buy it because people didn't feel like you could add water to brown powder and get a cake worth eating. So when they did the consumer research, they found out that the consumer wanted a little more participation in the process to give them certainty in the outcome. So they, so they said, hey, add an egg, <laughs> add an egg and water. And like, say, everything's added. Egg. The egg doesn't do anything except increase your participation to drive certainty. Wow. So my product has three eggs. You input who you're selling to, what pain they're in and what your company's value proposition is. And then my product does the rest of the work. That is huge. So uh, it's effectively could work with anybody. Um, do you have a sweet spot? Do you have a niche that you uh, prefer or a size that you prefer? Mm -hmm. Or is this, could could a uh, an independent coach get online and, and use your service? Yeah, again, anybody that's prospecting, responding to leads, following up, uh, these are all things that we can build a better campaign and help you automate. <clears throat> um, it's you know, I, mostly I would, B2B? Yeah, we do B2B. Yes. There's 484,000 B2B 
uh, companies in North America. There's 5.7 million B2B salespeople, 50% of which are missing their number. Uh, so it's a very large market. They need our help. Love it. Um, well, I, th I mean, this is why, again, I, when you just shared like the order and stuff, I don't know if you remember, uh, if you got a chance to get connected with Scott Klaslowski, but he did a whole thing called journey mapping that is a very similar thing where it kind of goes, okay, who, how do they like to be communicated with? What's going to be right. the most effective? So, you know, that's so important because people overlook like they just feel like they just throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. But there's mm -hmm. actual science to how people like to be communicated with, when, in in yeah. what format. <clears throat> Man, it's great that you're cutting out the guesswork. That's exactly what we do. We take out the guesswork right off the website. Well done. Oh, see? And I, 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 I looked at the website like two weeks ago when we chatted. I didn't... Uh, I, I, I knew that I knew enough about you that we could have this conversation. Uh, but I mean, what you're doing is obviously brilliant. So any like advice that you have for someone right now dealing with the pivoting, finding a new way and, you know, just dealing in this whole COVID world. And obviously you've started businesses, you've worked at organizations. Um, people are looking for some, you know, some light, some ideas, some certainty and, and confidence. What could you offer right now during this crazy time? I think that's good. I, I, I'll, I'll give the advice to the givers and the takers, uh, which is, you know, if, you, if you're looking for that chance, find, make a reason why somebody should take a chance on you. Like what, like why you like whatever you want to go do that you haven't done before, and you're going to go do this for the first time. There's people that have done this with experience that are also competing for that. Mm. So the hiring manager has to decide, like, do I take Doug who hasn't done it before, but he's got something, or do I take Sally who's got four years of doing this? Like, so like, why do I take a chance on you? Like if you're pivoting, uh, what now or any time it's like how 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 and why do i take a chance on you and for people that are <clears throat> providing chances you know don't be afraid to take the chance some of my best hires ever were not the obvious choice mm. so i think you know, on both sides of this equation whether someone's taking a chance on you or someone is taking a chance um, you know, that, that, that's one of those that can have tremendous leverage in that decision. A decision is nothing more than a bet on the future. <clears throat> that's what's going on. So, you know, do I bet on you or the other person and, and why you? So like, I always like to think about in any situation, like why, why should I give you that chance? And then for you, like, how do you create that aura where I'm worth taking the chance on? I am the safe bet. Love it. Thank you. And what are some maybe not do's, don'ts during uh, a reinvention or pivot? Yeah, don't, don't think things have changed where it's a, a blocker. Like don't, don't create an artificial barrier uh, to your success and your momentum. Uh, as much as things have changed, they've also stayed the same. They're just different. Right. And like, so don't, you know, don't wait for things to get back, uh, you know, seize your moment, seize your day, you know, prepare yourself now and take action. I love it. Yes. Take action. The, the quintessential antidote for almost every ailment is doing something about it. 
Uh, <laughs> oftentimes people get so that, you know, paralysis analysis or just thinking yeah. about what they could or couldn't do or talking about it. And the, the truth is, is you're going to get more done when you take action and, and or, or judging the activity. Like mm. so often, you know, you judge an activity in the outcome you'll get and then decide not to do it. Oh, like it's a small meeting or it's a this or it's a that. And uh, you like, don't judge. Like, like we, we should, we shouldn't be judgmental because you never know like who's in that meeting. You never know what that individual or, or organization needs in that moment. Like who are you to judge on their behalf of what they want and need and how you can help them? Ah, yeah, that is so powerful. I can think of so many times where I may have walked into a situation at first and going, ah, this is going to be, and then I was like, no, 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 wait, open up, hold on. What, what could be great about this? Maybe I am going to, you know, and like, so like if it's going to be a smaller meeting, you know, that gives you opportunity to connect even more. And yes. you could really, you know, spend the time and, and you end up going, wow, I just met the coolest person. I just did right. the great best deal. They had the coolest contacts. Um, and then a uh, last thing in, in sort of a sales conversation, um, the balance of closing a sale, I guess, depending on the, the environment you're in, whether it's like a networking or something like that, and the, the power of referrals. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the best time to ask for a referral is after you close a deal and you have a satisfied customer. And yet there are also some times where someone may not be the ideal, they just may not be ready. They may not be your ideal client. They may, it just may not be right. Yet there's still a resource. Like how, for you, how important is that last sort of step in a conversation and asking for a referral? So a couple of things. First of all, upfront, if you're doing your research right, and you're talking to the right people that have the problem that need what you have, like you'll, you'll minimize those interactions. Of course. Uh, number two, you know, quickly assess they're not a fit and don't waste their time and don't waste your time. So, mm -hmm. hey, like, let, let's let's part friends. And by the way, uh, do you know anybody in your network that could benefit from what I'm doing? So super important we ask for referrals. We measure referrals on my team. Mm -hmm. uh, like how many referrals we, we ask for and that we get. I know we had a process with Tony. We had the ARE process, yep. ask, reciprocate, make it easy. Yeah. Um, but super important. Uh, like, don't be afraid to ask for a referral. <clears throat> yeah. And, and I'm also uh, kind of framing that around there are sometimes when people are at like networking events or just out, you know, chatting with people and they're wanting to build their network. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes people, all they think about is uh, across the, the way is, is this a, a customer or not? And, you know, I'm just uh, presenting the possibility that they're more than just a customer or not. They could be a referent. They could be, they have their network that you could meet the, the ideal contact in. And oftentimes people will not continue the conversation if they feel like it's not going to go anywhere. If they, And it's more in like when you're out networking, because here in Florida, we do a lot of that still. Um, so like I, one of the things I, I notice and I coach people on is build the relationship. This isn't, you're not going to the networking event to meet your customer. You're going to meet someone who maybe could be a customer and they also could be a referral source. And there may be someone who you do good business for one of their referents 
then they're going to feel more mm. confident in spreading even more love and yeah. doing more business and so forth. Yeah, you go to a networking event to network. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, some people, you know, they they're thinking mm. in terms of, uh, you know, like what can what can I sell you at the moment? Right. It's not a new customer event. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They they should call the event a new customer event if that's what it's for. Maybe we should create one and then they would know to do that there and not do it at the other ones. Um, so uh, last thought on that, do you, has your team or do you do virtual networking? Do you go to those Zoom, you know, sort of networking events? I do. And <clears throat> I go to some CEO events. I go to fundraising events. Um, and they're great. You know, they break out. They're very sophisticated now. They break you off in a you know, speed pairing. And yep or small breakout rooms, so it's been very effective. Awesome, and I, I bring that up as well because I, I want people to know, you know, model you because you're crushing it and say you still do that. Like it's not that you still educate yourself, you're still investing your time, energy, and finances in growing you as a person professionally and obviously personally because they're combined, personal yeah. drives are professional, and you're still willing to do networking events and do all of those things that, you know, it, it never ends. Eating. So I'm reading a great book, Humor Seriously, like how to put more humor into our work life. Oh, I love I it. I did a training this morning and I did a networking event last night. And I think, you know, we, I think if there's a last, a last thought here, Doug, it's like we're, we're always the student first, not the teacher. Yep. Like there are times that we, we're the teacher, but we're the student first. And I think when we stop learning, we're done. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, uh, with that being said, I, I appreciate so much the learning I experience with you both like right here and also just watching you on LinkedIn and stalking you a little bit and, and just doing everything I can to keep my my axe sharp. Uh, because, you know, while, you know, we worked together many years ago and only for a few years, you, you always left a permanent scar in my heart. <laughs> I'm proud of all you've done, Doug. And, yeah. and, you know, for everyone that watches you regularly, you are the most charismatic, energetic, and engaged podcast host I have found yet. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. And um, I, it's, you know, as far as when we talked earlier, passionate, like I am so passionate about learning and connecting and adding value to, you know, to the world here because everything you shared today was profound. And, you know, if someone takes the time to apply what you taught and what you shared, they're going to, you know, change their business profoundly. And more importantly, if they have the opportunity to reach out to you on LinkedIn and, you know, see what you have to offer, you know, on all levels, I think that, uh, you know, we're all going to be better for it um, because like the, the more the more we all do, the better we all do, the better we all do. Amen. Love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you for who you are and who you aren't. And um, if there's anything that I can do for you, of course, uh, me resources, Sue resources, any final words before we uh, sign off? Uh, life's short, phone hard. Boom. Love it. Said like a sales pro. All right, brother, I appreciate you. And uh, thank you so much for everything that you've uh, shared and, and continue to. And I look forward to serving you even more in the future. Thank you, Doug. All right, thank you. Thank you so much for 
stopping by and hanging with us. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here. And we look forward to serving you even more. Remember, download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.